Welcome to Talk 30 to Me, a show where we talk about the perspective of 30-somethings on life. My kid is an asshole. Love. Did I tell you about the girl? twice in a week. And the never-ending pursuit of fulfillment. My name is Anthony, but most people just call me Turd. And I'm Randy Z. Let's start the show. We are here with Ready 8 Tequeste. Yep. Did I get that right? Yep. All right. Hey, we're started, we, we started on the right foot today. This All right. Morning. Barely. So, <laughs> it's arguable, I guess. It <laughs> who you ask. For me, not knowing anything about you or um, kind of your, your backstory, I've heard a little bit about it, but do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Just anything or... I'm yeah, we're, let's let's say um, let's start at the very beginning. Um, <laughs> back were, in 1982. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, kind of take us through through uh, the past ten years of your journey and, and what brought you here to Los Angeles today. Yeah, well, I'll make it. I'll make it quick because it could. I love telling stories. So, I was born in Ethiopia, which is East Africa, and then I was actually raised in Iowa. The middle, middle, middle America. It's probably the most American you could really be. And I grew up there my whole life. So I would say there's a part of me that's very, very Iowan. Like <laughs> I see it all the time. And I think other Americans are weird because I'm like, oh, no, but that's not what we do in Iowa. And then I went to college in Arizona and Arizona is its own little situation. And then when I graduated college after a couple of years, I went back to Ethiopia and lived there for a while. And from Ethiopia, I got a job that brought me to LA. So I've been in LA for six years and I came here for a job originally and then stayed here for grad school. And then every year I'm like, oh, I'm gonna move this year. And then I never move. And now I would never move. I don't, I don't know where I would really go. Maybe back to Ethiopia. Like I could see myself moving back there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's why I'm here. I like LA. My background's a little bit, I mean, as far as like education wise, communication, international communication, that kind of stuff. Hence the reason I like talking a lot. And then professional-wise, marketing, um, marketing, advertising, and then I run a nonprofit that sends like young professional Ethiopians back to Ethiopia. So a little bit of both, I think. Why'd you leave Ethiopia? Originally? Well, b- before, oh, wait. Are you talking about as a kid or are you talking about to come to L.A.? She didn't leave Ethiopia to come to LA. She left Ethiopia to come to Iowa. Why'd you leave Ethiopia? Originally? Originally, Yeah. yeah. So like, well, I was three, so I was really little. So I'm like a 1.5-er, which is like not first gen, not second gen. We left Ethiopia. My parents both got, like both were funded by the company or the organization they worked for to come to America and get like farther education. So that's why they originally came. We actually went to Minneapolis first and they got one degree there. And then um, they both got scholarships to University of Northern Iowa. So that's kind of why we left. Mm. So it was for their education. And the idea the whole time was for us to return. But then while we were in America, the government changed and it was really dangerous for my mom's, for my mom to go back. So she applied for asylum. And my dad is this guy that just like will never lie and has all this integrity, which is good most of the time. But like in this case, it's like he wouldn't put his name down on the application to like apply for asylum because he was saying like, you know, I would be safe if I went back. And it's really actually a crazy story and super tangent. But like my mom applied for asylum because she couldn't go back because the government changed. And on the like application, she wrote my name and my sister's name. And she didn't write my dad's name because my dad refused to write it down because it was a lie. Like he would have been fine if he went back because his kind of 
it was like his people that were in power. That's like the best way to say it. There's like different ethnicities and he would have been fine. Well, back that up real quick. A lot of people might not know that there are actually subdivisions within African African culture. So can you kind of, don't get too far into it, but can you give us a little preview as to what that entails? Sure. So Ethiopia has like, don't quote me, but like 70 some ethnicities. And when I say like ethnicities, I mean like- It's on paper, to, it's out there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, like, don't quote me. It's on wax. Like religions <laughs> and um, also languages. And it's not like dialects. They're like actually different. So my dad is from one tribe. My mom is from two tribes. Like her mom was from one tribe and my dad, or her dad was from another tribe. So like I legit am from like three, like I'm mixed. And you, I mean- depending on where you're at in Ethiopian history, you can almost think of it as like in America where you think of like white and black people getting married. So mm-hmm. when my parents got married, people like legit wouldn't come to their wedding. Certain wow. people wouldn't come to their wedding. It was no that bad. Wow. So we're in a better place now, but I won't get to there. But it's definitely, it is definitely something that as Ethiopians or any, I mean, I guess any African country where this is an issue, obviously that's something that's like everybody kind of knows, you know? Um, so to fast forward, it's like my dad wouldn't apply for the asylum. And the lawyer that was interviewing my mom, my dad was out in the lobby with us. And he said, like, what about your husband? And she just said, well, he thinks he would be fine if he went back. And then the lawyer, the no, it's the immigration guy, which is funny because you think about U.S. immigration people now and they're not like this. But the immigration guy said, does he understand that if his name is not on this application, he may never see his kids again? Like he goes back. It's not going to be just like he can come back and forth or you guys can go back. And my mom was like, yeah, I think he understands, but he doesn't want to lie. And the immigration guy is the one who stood up, walked out in the lobby went up to my dad and said, you need to fill out this paperwork. And I completely understand that you don't think that you're going to be, um, you, you don't want to lie on it. So let's just put your name down. And he like stapled it to the back of the application. And then all of us went through like the visa process, which is when you think about the current culture and like how people think about like immigration and United States citizenship people and government officials, it's definitely not the same. But Honestly, if I think back at it, like whoever that guy was who just said like he knew better for us than Mm -hmm. we knew for ourselves and just like admired obviously my dad's integrity to like staple his application at the back of our application is insane, you know? And yeah, so then we stayed in America. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's intense. (laughs) Your life could have been so different. Had that guy never Your dad was a, was literally inches away from being deported, like seconds rather. Yeah, That's not even deported, metric, just but, leaving on his own because yeah. he was like, I don't want to lie. Mm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. I only think about that now because of what's going on right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, huh. It's like the like little choices that we make and then the way like life answers them. So fast forward in past college, even though you went from Iowa, which is we'll say middle of America, we won't touch on the diversity factor yet, (laughs) but you go into Arizona where there's very high tensions surrounding cultural acceptance. Mm -hmm. Was that part of the factor that made you want to go back to Ethiopia after undergrad or like where, where did that inspiration come from for you? Um, Yeah, that's a good question. So when I went to Arizona, like I grew up with like 99% white people. I mean, that's just, if you look at my high school friends, they're still my friends definitely the only brown person. So I went to Arizona. I didn't go for like, I honestly went because I was going to go to California. And then I just changed my mind at the last minute. And I'm like, Arizona's the closest school I applied to. So I went there and Wait, I walked. Hold on. Arizona's the closest school you applied to? To the, to the West Coast. Oh, oh so I, I was to like, no, 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 not to Iowa. No, 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 no. And so my first class, I went to like uh, ASU and there were like 
brown people in the class. And I don't know where they came from. I had no idea who they were. Lo and behold, there's like people from Mexico that live in Arizona. And like, that's how culturally ignorant I was, you know what I mean? To be Ethiopian and to not understand that there's like people in America that are not either black or white. Right. Just like <laughs> legit, super ignorant. You know what I mean? So like that, just to kind of give you where I was on the spectrum of like just ignorant, honestly, or just not knowing, I guess not on purposely ignorant. But my mom in 2006, my mom took us back to Ethiopia. So that was the, she basically saved up for a really long time and she wanted us I don't know what happened, but she was just like, you guys need to see your country. Um, so we became citizens that year. She like, you know, it takes a long time to be a citizen if you don't know that. And so finally we became citizens and my sister and my mom and I went back to Ethiopia and my mom did this thing where she took us from like the north to the south to the east to the west. And like we did the tourism thing. We did the, we visited her village, which is a little bit at that time was National Geographic-ish, what we imagined it to be, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And we did everything. And then when we came back to, when we came back to America, that's, that was like my light bulb. Like I went from being a journalism major to like an international communication major. I went from like caring about me, myself, and I to like realizing that there's a country of people that look like me and that's dope to get off a plane and be like, Oh my God, everyone looks like me. Yeah. They really don't actually exactly look like me, but more like me than everyone did anywhere else in my life. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like, they could all pronounce my name even better than I could pronounce my name, honestly. And like, we got off the plane and like landed at Bully airport and you just like, get off the plane, you walk out. There is like 25 people, 25 people. And they were crying and hugging us. And I'm like, who are you and why are you hugging me? But they knew us, even though we didn't know them, you know? So that was kind of, that's the reason I went back. That's, I think, what is a little bit special about the U.S. and its ability to draw people in, keep people here, and allow people the opportunity to share their experiences, their culture, and, their, and what makes them unique with the rest of the country. Yeah. The fact that you had you had afforded yourself the opportunity to go back makes that even a more true statement from the sense that um, you were able to actually um, reintroduce yourself to the culture at a later age where it meant more to you rather than growing up, coming here and never going back. Yeah. You know, me, I've never had the opportunity to go back mm. to, to, to my country. Yeah. Um, few reasons for that. But with without that possibility, even the possibility existing, because the reality is that we can, uh, a part of this country, we can all go, but we sometimes choose not to. Mm -hmm. um, where was I going with this? I don't know. I think you were just sharing and I think that's cool. That's, that's totally fine. I can jump in. Yeah. Because I have a question. I don't think I really had a point. You did it. You just needed to, to share it. You needed to get that off your chest, and that's did, totally fine. I did have a point to that, though, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to measure <laughs> where I was going. No, I, I mean, <laughs> if, it's, if it's helpful, I think that, like, you not being or you not going back, like, that actual, that is honestly why we started EDF, right? Why we started our organization is because I realized later on that that was a complete shift of my life, understanding that there's there's two of me, like there's two sides to me right. and not just one. And like what you said originally, which is like America. I mean, like my mom is 
by far the biggest patriot, American patriot you will ever meet in your life. Like anywhere she goes, she has like an American flag. She says, I mean, the way she says it is like, even now, right, where it's a little bit hard for some people to be patriots. She's like, well, this is the country that harbored me when I couldn't raise my kids. This is the country that educated me and my kids. This is the country that saved me when I had to leave. This is the country that gave me food when I couldn't. This is the country that gave me my PhD. Like she really takes it as like, this is the country that gave me my life. You know what I mean? So... Yeah, it's kind of crazy because it's like she has a whole other country, right? But Mm -hmm. like she really is American in that sense. Would you have understood that perspective had you not gone back to Ethiopia? Would you just have looked at Mm -hmm. her from the outside looking in basically saying, Mom, you're just, you're you're silly. Oh, crazy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't have understood that perspective until I started learning about Ethiopian history. I think that one thing that happens when you have a country where people leave because of war or like because of like actual real trauma is that the generation that leaves, they don't talk about it. So there's like a generation of us that had no idea why they left. Like I didn't understand the trauma that she had gone through. Do you know what I mean? But like now when I go back, when I learn about history, there's like a museum, like all this stuff. When you learn it, you're like, holy cow. Like my parents have gone through something and they never shared it with us. You know what I mean? So yeah, now I get it. And like piece by piece, like I learned little parts of their story. Like the people that had originally sponsored them just stopped sponsoring them one day. So my mom had to go like get three jobs. And like those kind of things, they just never told us. So yeah, now I get it. Like heck yeah, like raise kids and then all of a sudden not having any income coming from the place that you thought was coming you know like that's crazy yeah. right yeah. um it's like so cold turkey like what do you do now you have to right. figure out and adapt on the fly right right exactly so i get i get it now but like it's only if you like talk about it and try to learn about it and like try to figure out why your parents are the way they are you know I think that's a very poignant part because I, I think there's a big disconnect between myself and my sister and how we understand our parents to that point. She older or younger? Uh, she's younger. And, um, you know, our parents have been here. They've never, my dad gone back. My dad's gone back once. My mother has never gone back and we've never gone back. But I, I want to plan a trip. But for you, Randy, I mean, I'm curious about this. Like for you, what does that feel like? Taking it from that perspective in terms of trying to go back home or, or like formulate a pilgrimage, we talked about this, uh, what was it, last year? Mm-hmm. And your trip to Mexico City and how that kind of changed you. Do you have now a different perspective? I I kind of relate to what Radiate said earlier about getting off the plane and seeing people that look like you. Uh, I, I was born in Santa Ana. You could do that in LA, man. Hold on. I, said, I, was, born in Santa, I was born in Santa Ana. And I see brown people, but I don't see people that look like me, right? I'll be people. I'll be among other Mexican people, and people assume I'm Mexican, but I'll be among other ethnic groups, and people assume I'm that ethnicity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm actually more curious of going into actual cities and, and towns where my family is from, mm. and seeing what people look like, and feeling if like there's some more of a connection for me. Mm-hmm. But going to Mexico was very interesting, and and. Well, uh, real quick, was that your first time in the heart of Mexico? And, and I'd say Mexico proper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we've all been to Tijuana. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah, first time into like, like deep in the heart of Mexico. But going to Mexico was interesting in the city that I was in because it felt like a larger Santa Ana, where you have your poor areas, you have your more affluent areas, and then you have your area where there's white people, and it's a completely different part of town. I see white people. A okay. Scarier. Yeah, where it's like a whole village of like expats, <laughs> where you only speak English in this part of Mexico. Yeah. There's there's that in Mexico, like everywhere though, right? Yeah, but I mean, it's I'm speaking pretty, uh, specifically of Guadalajara, so it's okay. 
just in that town that I right. was at. Mm. So I think the 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 crazy part is that there's diversity around the world. We just don't assume it, right? And yeah. for me, I today, first time I've ever learned Ethiopia has over seventy. You heard it here first. Folks. Oh my god, you guys, let's over Google that. seventy <laughs> <laughs> ethnic groups yeah. within the country. Yeah, that to me, I look at it like a village, right? We have different villages with yeah. different um, with different languages different ways to communicate because it's how they've always been. They were very isolated. Technology hasn't been very prevalent. Now in um, America, you don't have that, right? You have people that speak different languages. They have the ability to communicate, but and, and yet we still se- segregate ourselves mm-hmm. to, to some extent, if not physically, um, socially or mentally or subconsciously even at times. Mm-hmm. The interesting part about this whole... Um, this whole conversation is the fact that we haven't really put in perspective what the American cult, what we've brought to the American culture. So for you, Everything. from your perspective, <laughs> th- that's what I want to hear. What is your goal? Now, if you haven't accomplished it yet, which um, I'm guessing you're kind of en route to your, your end game, or maybe, you know, getting to a point where you're starting to better understand what you're contributing to society. What is it that you thought you were contributing versus what you're actually now contributing to society and what endeavors and what steps have you taken to get there? Mm, That's a good question. What is it that I thought I was contributing and what am I contributing? I'm not sure if I've like reflected well enough on that question, but I, I mean, I guess like right off the top of my head, it's like, I think that when I, when we started EDF or like when we started the fellowship program to send Ethiopian Americans back, it was always like, we want to create the next generation of thought leaders, right? That was like our original thing. And the like, the more we go on, the years that go by, and now Ethiopia has this new prime minister and y'all should look it up. It's like all crazy, all these things that are happening right now, which is um, mostly positive from people's perspective. I'm realizing that it's not about like, it's not about just like creating this new generation, but it's about like the individual person connecting with, who they really are, right? Like, and so really I think, so basically this is what I'm saying is like, people (laughs) cannot live up to their potential if they're missing half of themselves, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So for us, like watching our fellows, it was always like, okay, you're gonna go to Ethiopia, you're gonna learn so much, you're gonna have an identity thing and then this and that and this and that, and you're gonna help the organization, the organization's gonna help you. It was super tactical to me because I'm like strategic planner, that's how I think. But now when I see our alumni, which previous fellows, right? I'm like, holy cow, like you're at a different level because you get yourself more. It's not about the organization, it's not about Ethiopia, it's not about your family, it's about you. Like at the end of the day, I honestly think that like that's where these like 1.5 second generation people we miss out on stuff is because we really don't know ourselves and it's you maybe you don't have to go back to the country I just think that like that is a huge part of it so it's like we're only gonna get and I know this is gonna be big but like we're only gonna get to a certain potential like to our certain potential because we aren't connecting to this like percent of us that we've either hidden or denied or don't know or don't know we're missing do you know what I mean so like yeah, I think what I'm maybe contributing through the organization and through like friendships and stuff is like pushing people to like recognize that part of themselves just so that they can like live to that potential. Now, you mentioned very poignantly that, you know, it, there might be a chance that you're not reaching your full potential by not traveling back to your country. I'm going to challenge that a little bit. What about those people that 
can't identify themselves as American mm. first. And they're one to 1.5ers, generationally speaking. And they don't want anything to do with their country because mm. of either what it's done to their parents yep. or what it hasn't done for them. Mm-hmm. What about that? What about America? Why, why can't America make you whole? What is it about this, this nation, this country that doesn't make you whole? Well, the record show, I didn't say America couldn't make you whole. I just think that. Um, so <laughs> let's just say. <laughs> okay. Maybe that was the wrong way to phrase it. No, 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 I'm just joking. What about the people that, that don't yeah. have that opportunity? Like, okay, what can they do to offset it? And what can they, what can the American culture do to maybe offset a little bit of that? Maybe that's a better yeah. way of phrasing it. <laughs> no, no, no. I think your original question is spot on. And it's a good challenge. And I accept it. So here's here's my thought process here is like, you can not like your country for whatever it's done to you. And trust me, I'm Ethiopian, so you can like Google that history. It's it's not the easiest. But at the end of the day, like if there's any part of you that grew up, if there, there's any part of you like in your household that grew up with that ethnicity, then you're for me, that's when you're going to have a hard time like doing or working to your full potential or living to your full potential without really like diving deep and understanding that better. So if you grew up in America and like maybe you were adopted or maybe your parents just like did not raise you with that culture, you just kind of looked like that, then maybe you'll like, maybe it's okay. But for me, it's like I grew up Ethiopian at home, Ethiopian with like my family and then American outside, right? And so I had honestly like almost no choice but to understand what it meant to be Ethiopian or to continue to evolve and understand that. And truthfully, like, and I know I'm going to get like a lot of pushback here, but it's like, even if you don't like your country, even if you don't like the government, even if it did things to your parents, even if it's not giving you what it wants, at the end of the day, it's not your country. It's the people in your country and the culture. It's not like, it's not about the government. It's about the culture and the people. And like, if you love the people and you love the culture, that's like a part of you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that most of us that are first 1.5 and second gen, it's like, we love our culture. Like we're, we love our, I mean, we love and hate our culture, but we love our culture. So it's like, you're going to want to learn more about that. I think there's a lot of cherry picking going on, especially if you're mainly American. I've, you know, I've interacted with a lot of people who really, they've never been outside of this country Mm -hmm. first and foremost. And, but their parents came from a different country, Mm -hmm. right? That's actually very prevalent, especially in Los Angeles. For sure. A lot of people are ignorant to the fact that the people make up the country and not the country representing what it represents on the global scale. You know, Mm -hmm. it's hard to identify that nowadays because there's a lot of press that says Mexico did this or Afghanistan did this. And then you start identifying negatively with that nation and not, you don't identify the people within it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to do that. It's kind of hard to separate the two because they kind of go hand in hand. The people make up the country and the country makes up the people. Mm-hmm. So how do you differentiate that? Yeah, but the people don't necessarily always make up the government, especially in countries that's where... Where they don't have a say. Yeah, right? where they don't have a say. Right. So that's like one thing. And I think like the other thing is it's almost it's two things for me. It's like empathy, right? Like if you... It's just empathy, right? You know if the people aren't choosing the government and the government's in place, then the people are still the people, right? Right. And then the second thing for me is like, honestly, it's an advantage. Like with globalization and with how small our world is becoming, one of, I mean, the research that we're going off of for EDF, the original research is talking about like the advantages of being bicultural, right? And at the end of the day, it's like, if you have this like dual culture and if you have this ability to like not only code shift as like, you know, like 
black and white and all that stuff, but code shift like with different cultures, like that is an advantage. And there is like proven skill sets into that. And even in your workplace, like in every part of your life. So for me, it's almost like, why aren't we figuring out that advantage? And then once we figure out that there's an advantage, learning more from it so that we're more confident in it. So instead of being like the eighth grade girl that I was that was trying to have like straight hair, blue eyes and Mm. like hating everything about myself, like now I'm like, huh, I can walk into a room of like all older Ethiopian men that are running the government and have a conversation and be confident in it because I represent a, you know, a portion of the diaspora, which they really need to attract, right? And then I can walk in a room with older white men that are running companies and have the a conversation where I'm like representing their marketing and telling them about a strategic plan and still being heard. I'm not saying that there aren't barriers to being like a black woman or a young Ethiopian woman or whatever, but it's like, there's also really big advantages to like the fact that I can understand people. And I mean, even sitting here, like, right, you, I was just asking where you're from and like your background, I can relate to you at a level that maybe someone else can't because I'm like, I get it. Like your parents are from somewhere else. So there's probably like this code shifting that you've always had to do your whole life that you could tell me a story and I'll be like, Yup, my parents do. <laughs> like I ordered pizza for my parents because no one could understand their accents. And like a bunch of people would be like, yep, yep. And we all look different and we're from different countries all over the world. But like the American part of us is like what relates us, right? You 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 hear immigrant or you think of immigrant experiences and you always associate it with Latin American countries, specifically Mexico, right? But there are so many different cultures and experiences that come to America and deal with the immigrant experience. Um, you being one of them. How did you deal with being the African-American, but also kind of dabbling with the black American experience. Yeah. I mean, I think even saying African-American is so funny because a lot of Ethiopian parents raised kids not to think that we were black. You know, they're like, you're not African-American. You're not black. You're Ethiopian or you're American. Well, that's a weird thing too, right? Because in in (laughs) title alone, like African-American would assume you're from a country in Africa and now American. People use it as a sense of just being black in America. Being, being black in America. One thing we learned today is Ethiopia uses a different calendar. And now they're trying to say they're not a part of the African continent? No, no, no. They're part of the African continent. But they, so basically it's like, mm-hmm. so people come here, right? And then they see African-American culture or black culture and they're immigrant parents. They, I mean, I think that what it is, is like our parents don't understand. They uh, Even the history, you can read about the history, but you don't understand maybe the black American history in America, the racism, how they came here. They're not immigrants. They were forced here, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they want to separate it, us from that because that they're like, that's not your history. Your history is different, right? right. But at, on the daily, when I walk into a room, you don't, maybe you'll be like, oh, you look exotic, right? But at the end of the day, it's like, I'm still a black girl in a white world. Like that's mm-hmm. what it is in America. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think all of us have our different journey. Mine's a little bit different because I grew up in Iowa. So I didn't really have like African-American culture or black culture around me until I was in high school. I don't think, uh, sorry, I don't think we've really established when it was that you came here. Did we? Yeah, when I was three. So you came here when you were three. So taking that back, you came here when you were three. Practically your entire life was in the U.S. Yeah. So going back to your earlier statement, when you said your eighth grade, you blonde hair, blue eyed, that's all you knew up until that point. Yeah. Predominantly. For right? sure. Except for, for my family, part. yeah. Right. Yeah. Granted, but your your family was and and this is simply speaking from a statistical standpoint, the outlier. For sure. In Iowa. Yeah. So your template for who to be and how to be it, that person. Yeah. Right. Up until what age did you move out of Iowa? Eighteen. Eighteen. That's all you knew. That is insane. For 15 years of your life, that is all you knew. 
for yeah for six yeah I mean the thing is two things one yeah we were the four Ethiopians in Cedar Falls Iowa and probably the Cedar Madrid, Falls pro- not, not even, not even Des Moines no no Des Moines no 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 Des Moines no and honestly probably like more, probably there's probably ten of us in Iowa honestly but we also had family in Minneapolis and that they had a really huge Ethiopian population in Minneapolis and we went there every weekend. So I saw more Ethiopians. There were like Ethiopian churches and Ethiopian, that kind of stuff. But yeah, the majority of my life, my understanding of beauty, my understanding of who I want to be, my understanding of everything was that. Like blonde hair, blue eyed, beautiful in the sense of American stereotypical culture for sure. And it isn't until like, maybe honestly, until I moved back to Ethiopia when I was like two years after college and then so over the like last eight years, yeah, over the last like six, seven years where I'm like, holy cow, I'm so glad I'm Ethiopian. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I mean, no offense to anyone else, but I'm just saying like there, you start discovering the beauty of your people, right? Yeah. And I think it's just much deeper than magazine beauty for me. So we actually had a lot of good conversation today about, you know, identifying with your culture and what that means to you. I'm not really going to summarize today because I think it was a very well-enveloped conversation and it covered a lot of different topics. But if you are listening and something within this episode resonated with you on a level that you didn't really realize before, and hopefully it did, um, whether you are ethnically touched or not, Reach out, let us know. Give us a little bit of insight about your journey and your and your truth and how you live it every day. Ready, how can people find you, connect with you, and maybe in 30 seconds, can you give us a little bit about the um, EDF? Okay, so Ethiopian Diaspora Fellowship is a fellowship program where we send Ethiopian American young professionals back to Ethiopia for six months fellowship. So our whole thing is based on service leadership and creative storytelling. Curriculum is based on that. You go back, you live together, you work in different companies, organizations, and then hopefully come back. But most people just stay there for as long as they want to. And then how can people connect with me? You can find me on Twitter or you can really go to our website, EthiopianDiasporaFellowship.org. Um, and then you can connect with us there. We have applications opening up in September, which is super exciting. And it'll be our fourth cohort. And because a lot of things in Ethiopia and in Africa are changing, like now is the time to go and get yourself in. Quick question. Do you have to be Ethiopian? That is a great question. So you originally our thing was you always had to have like one parent that was Ethiopian because uh-huh. it's like reconnecting you with the country. But with some of these changes, we're figuring out what else we could do, how to expand it. Great. Randy, where can the people find you? You can find me anywhere and everywhere at I am Randy C. Turg? You can find me at Turg Says No on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for subscribing to another episode of Talk 30 to Me. We hope you enjoy it and continue to share it with friends. Make sure to stop by our website at talk30tome.com for more content and information about the podcast. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. And if you really like what you hear, make sure to leave us an awesome five-star review. For Talk 30 to Me, I'm Turg. And I'm Randy Z. Peace. <laughs>
pressure. Are you a little threatened that I'm about to take over your podcast? Oh, no. I'm no. just joking. I'm just joking. I don't know him, so it's weird because I'm making fun of him, but... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's like, I forgot he's not like you guys, so it's like weird. I know. Good morning. It's all right. We're, we're already in it. We're, this is, this is, okay, this is the show. Yeah, the show ready, is... Ready. No, no. What do you mean ready? We're already in it. <laughs> Sorry. We're already in it. So how do you like to go... Uh, ready. What do you like to... Ready? Yeah, ready. Ready eight. Like, are you ready? And then eight. I'm trying to help you out. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Here for you, friend. And how do you... I see brown people. I see brown people. <laughs> that, and that's the name you of the episode. You whisper that. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually not a bad name. Right. Okay. I'm looking at Ethnicity's and languages. Because <laughs> my husband will kill me. You know Fissum. His ass would like be like, Reddit, why? And I'm like, you know so much. I'm like, I'm not gonna do that. Oh, it's 700. <laughs> oh my god, that's not. I'll look at this shit. 80 different ethnic groups. Boom. 80? Mm-hmm. She was close. Guys, I like the background noise. I do too. Make, he makes a mess for oh editing. Yeah. And, okay. And I don't like it. Okay. I'm we'll do what you I'm like. I'm the one that edits, so it doesn't really. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, so you're just I'm, looking out for him. I'm, I'm the I critique the edit Ooh. after the fact. You gotta let it go. You gotta live with it. <clears throat> I like the background noise. <laughs> it's a white noise that soothes me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm more comfortable right now, actually. <laughs> The whole thing. That's why you are the perennial intern. <laughs> Don't let them do that, yeah. I gotta think of how I said it. Hold on. So you, you said you think of different immigrant experiences, and we always think you of Mexicans. Of <laughs> no, no, no! Don't. Why are you Oh no, so I can talk. That's what I'm saying. So I can talk. Because I'll start talking and he's like, oh, I'm not recording. (laughs) Dude, that was really good. Now, can you do it with the mics on? (laughs) Do I do the rap too? I forget how this works. It's been a while. You do everything. I do? Wow. Thank you. You want me to do it for you? Sure. (laughs) However, you feel appropriate to end uh, end the episode. Um, So black, so black, so black. And if you want San Keys to speak, hit that donate button. Damn, maybe I should redo that now that that's off. <laughs> no, 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 keep going. Ready? How can people find? Oh, fucking. Cr- Sorry. It's actually kind of awesome that you did that right when you. <laughs> I was so uncomfortable. Ready? Eight. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it was just so easy though. It's like every part of me. I'm the youngest sibling. It's just like that part of you.